Reading shaped my dreams and more reading helped me make my dreams come true. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. RBG, never a bad choice, really. Hi, everyone. That was Kayla, and I'm Brandy, and we're two bitches reading books. Welcome back to our podcast. I had to. It's such, such a good quote. My bookmark is actually the Notorious RBG. I don't know if you saw it on the reel that I posted a while back when I bought it, but I've been using it for my podcast books. Ooh, I had one and then I lost one. Then I lost it. You know, I used to be anti-bookmark until I started reading the second Crescent City book. Lost my place. Now I have no idea where I am and I have to start over. And that's a 700 page long book. Possibly more. I don't know. Because I haven't finished it. That sounds terrible. Yeah, so, I mean, it'll probably be good to reread it because I've read a lot of stuff since then, but I'm using bookmarks now. (laughs) Good. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. I've learned so much about reading this year. You've read almost 10 books this year. I know. What's it like? It's insane. For comparison, how many books did you read last year at this point? Uh, Maybe like half of a book. Where the Crawdads Sing? Nope. <laughs> Do you um, remember what it was? I think it was, uh, it's Glennon Doyle's book. Hmm. It's like a self-help book. It's pretty good. I just like, it's not that I couldn't get into it. I just get distracted. I have learned something recently about myself and nonfiction and fiction. And I really just like to hear nonfiction on audiobook and I like to read fiction. Like I have a hard time getting into fiction audiobooks and it's the other way around when I'm reading like that Proud Boys book that I downloaded yeah. from Libby. I've had it for two weeks and I've read one chapter, but it's good. In the first chapter, they talk about how the Proud Boys named themselves basically like it came from the founder of the Proud Boys making fun of a 12-year-old boy for singing a song from Aladdin because wow. clearly he was gay. Wow. Yeah. So that's then all like the fans of his show, because he had like a show before that, would call in and be like, I'll make you proud, boy. And that's where it came from. All of these people making fun of a 12-year-old kid. Wow. I bet they feel great about themselves. Honestly, I bet they do because they're really small men. And that's the kind of thing that makes really small men feel big. True. Anyway, we haven't even talked about the book we're talking about this week yet. (laughs) What a life. We're finishing Local Woman Missing. I haven't read this in over a week. I finished it after, like, the day after we recorded last, so I'm excited to uh, find out what happened again. But I'm so glad we stopped where we did last time. I told you a million times already. If we would have read one more chapter, our theories in our last episode would have been completely different and probably way more accurate. But we pick up on page 263 with Meredith 11 years before in May. And she's thinking about telling Josh about Marty. Because she just had that confrontation with Cassandra, right? Yeah. And um, so she does this whole thing where she decides to, like, take Josh out to dinner to tell him. And I hated this. Like, the whole fucking lead up to, like, taking him out to dinner. He's so excited to go out to dinner. He is, and you already know that she's not going to end up telling him. Right, exactly. That's how he doesn't it know. doesn't work like that. Right, and like how manipulative is it to be like, hey, let's go out to dinner. It's been a long time. I got a babysitter, blah, blah, blah. And like build him up for this great night. Just to crush him with some news like that, I would be pissed if someone gave me news like that. I never want to go out to eat again. Never, don't ruin dates for me, bitch. Exactly. But anyways, I, I shouldn't call the dead woman a bitch. That's mean. 
Anyway, she gets him to go on the date. He's excited. And it's so cute. They love each other so much. Like, when they get to the restaurant, they get some wine. And Josh, like, reaches his hand across the table and, like, intertwines their fingers. And then they're, like, touching legs under the table. And he's, like, he's got the twinkle in his eye. And both of them kind of want to just go home. But it's just been so long since they left the house. You know, go home to, like, make a third baby. And it's just been so long, though, that they're like, no, we're going to stick it out. We're going to be adults and have a real date. Even though Meredith, in the back of her mind this whole time, is like, I have to tell Josh. I'm going to have to ruin this great time. And then when they go to leave, their food comes. So then they have to stay. And then they go to leave again. And Kate and B show up. Honestly, am I remembering incorrectly or were they thinking about just taking their food to go I think and like going thinking, and finding a space to park the car? I think they were thinking about taking their food to go to park the car. I was, I was so happy that they were able to have this like last nice date, but I feel really bad for Josh because like it was manipulated. Like, yeah, <laughs> poor guy. I, I mean, at least he never really had to know. That's that true. he was manipulated that whole night or what it was all about. I mean, it seems like it never came out about Marty. Nope. So anyways, um, yeah, Kate and B show up and they decide to stay and everybody's having a good time. They're drinking, they're dancing. And this is just page 266 and 267 are probably two of my favorite pages of the book because they're just having a good time with their friends dancing. It's B's birthday. So that's why Kate and B showed up. And Delilah is sick. Is that why the babysitter calls and Josh has to leave all of a sudden? It's because Delilah wakes up and she's inconsolable. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's at the bottom of page 269. So everybody's having a good time. The babysitter calls. Somebody has to go take care of Delilah. And Kate's like, I want to go home too. I have to work early in the morning. But Meredith is having a good time and so is B. So they decide to stay and they dance a little more, they have a couple more drinks, and then they decide to leave. Nothing really happens. Josh tells Meredith, of course, there's like a hot little line where he's like, wake me up when you get home, wink, wink, we've got work to do. But the girls end up having a good time after that, after Kate and Josh leave, and then they leave, and Meredith is kind of thinking, neither of us should be driving right now when they get in the car, and we end this chapter on page 271, with Meredith thinking, they say most accidents happen within five miles of a person's home. I never see it coming. And I have my sticky note here saying, oh my God, they killed someone and covered it up. That's why Meredith is freaking out at the end. Oh my see, gosh. I didn't think that at all. I was like, oh my God, did they get into an accident? Did someone hit them? Do you remember the prologue? The end of it, she bends over to tie the shoe another noise comes from behind this time when she looks car lights surface on the horizon going way too fast there's no time to hide and we know shelby we've already deduced that she's the person in the prologue yeah lives in the neighborhood well once once we get to the chapter where the accident happens that's when i'm like oh my god they hit shelby yeah i i text you as soon as i finish this chapter like we would have known exactly how this book ends if we would have read one more chapter, because by then I kind of was starting to piece it together. So that's how that chapter ends. <laughs> I'm getting jazzed up just reading this book again. I'm going to have to read another one of her books because it gives me, it gives me a lot of emotions. Yeah. 
gets me all jazzed up. So anyways, the next chapter starts on page 272 with Kate 11 years before in May. Oh my gosh, it's so weird to think about Kate looking for Meredith with B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking psycho. What a fucking psycho. Anyways, um, they find we out will that- get there. We, we will, will get, get there. there. <laughs> we find out that um, in the beginning of this chapter that Grace is not Jason Tebow's baby. They did a paternity test and you are not the father, Jason. I, I don't think anybody really knows what that means and we never discuss who the actual father is, but it's an interesting tidbit. I don't think we know who the actual father is. Yeah. It never comes up, not even in the end of the book, but no, I think it just goes to show that Shelby was having an affair the entire time. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of wondered if maybe it was Marty's, but it doesn't really matter, I realize, because Shelby is kind of collateral damage and a background character for Meredith's story. Yeah. So, of course, we wouldn't know who else Shelby was fucking in the neighborhood. Probably everyone. No, it wasn't even in the neighborhood. It couldn't have been Marty. They just moved there. I wonder if that's why they moved. That could have been why they moved. And that's why Jason was acting so crazy. Yeah. Man. Anyways, I'm just, I should write a book. I could do an offshoot of Jason and Shelby's before life. I got it all planned out in my head already. Yep. Anyways. And then this is when Kate finds out that she's not pregnant. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Feinkold. Oh my God. I had kind of put that doctor's visit out of my mind. How fucking awful. I can't believe she went through with that. I can't believe B let her go through with that, knowing that Dr. Feingold definitely did not murder Shelby or Meredith. I know. She let her wife be, in my opinion, sexually borderline assaulted. sexually assaulted. Yeah. To keep her. Oh my God. Oh my God. Anyway, we also find out that they found Meredith's car on page 273 and um it's at a motel so kate b and josh are all going to go to the motel where the car was found which um they weren't necessarily supposed to do but they're all really curious i mean there's i didn't take any notes between 274 and 275 i was just reading but it's just like them showing up them noticing or them being told they can't go in and they're being told to sit tight and wait there's blood in the car, but it's empty. And they're kind of complaining that things are taking so long, you know. And then Josh gets pulled aside, and that's when a cop says that they found Meredith dead, and they think it was by suicide. Ugh. Yeah, he's, like, screaming and crying at the end of this chapter on page 276, and it's fucking sucks, man. That's, there's nothing else to be said. That's the whole chapter. It's all bad news. Jason's mm-hmm. not the father. Meredith is dead. Her kids are now motherless. And Delilah is nowhere to be seen. Because we're still looking for her in the past as well. Oh, yes. And then uh, we start the next chapter with Meredith 11 years before in May. It's, we're back in the car with them. And they're still having a good night, you know. They had just gotten in the car. They were just driving. She says her eyes are closed. She's singing along to a song. She doesn't know the words. She's just making it up. As she goes, she says, they sound perfect to my ears. They laugh giddy and euphoric, she says. She thinks B must see something because there's a like quick gasp before anything happens. And then they hit something. She sits up. She's like stunned. B tries slamming on the brakes, but they don't stop immediately. So 
they run over whatever they hit and then B reverses backs up and bumps over whatever they hit again and, and that's when I knew it was Shelby because I remember in the prologue I just why would you back up and reverse after you hit something like I understand braking parking the car and getting out to see what it is but reversing why what okay but whatever whatever the way B handles this, like, is so fucking insane. <sighs> she, Meredith is obviously, like, woozy sitting there. B gets out to go see what's going on. She gets back in. She's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. The entire time, Meredith just thinks it's roadkill, like, raccoons. Yeah, she hasn't gotten out of the car. And B gets in, cuts the lights, and she grabs Meredith and is like, you have to promise me that you are not going to sell, tell anybody about this. And Meredith is like, get a grip. People hit animals all the time. And B's being really fucking seri serious. Meredith has never seen her like this before. And mind you, everybody thinks B is just like this person who like is never flustered and like takes charge of everything and is just like has all of her ducks absolutely in a row. So like seeing her handle a mistake like this is like very jarring. And B won't tell her what she hits. She's just like, promise me that you won't say a thing. And Meredith's like, I promise I won't say a thing. And she's telling her like, whatever we hit in the street is like, it ran out. We had no chance to react. Like it, we can't even be blamed. And B's like, it wasn't a fucking raccoon, Meredith. And this freaks Meredith out because they've, she's once again, never seen her lose her cool. And finally, Meredith gets out of the car. And she sees who it is. She says it's a person, female, based on the hair length and body shape. She's laying face down on the street. A barely perceptible, did I say that correctly? I think so. Pool of blackness spreading beneath her. She's obviously dead. She kind of compares it to how Delilah used to sleep at it as a baby. But she can't see the face. She just can see that they clearly hit a fucking woman. And B gets out of the car and says she should have been wearing reflective gear. A fucking headlamp. She should have been on the sidewalk, like... I mean, all of those are accurate. <laughs> they are accurate, but, like, way to victim blame. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, gosh. I don't know if I wouldn't say the same thing, though. I've never hit a person and killed them with my car, so I don't know. <laughs> Meredith is not okay, though. She's, like, she wants to vomit over this. She wants to call the cops. She, like, she does not want to keep this a secret, clearly. And B's like, well, we're not going to just leave her here. Just help me. And they finally turn her over. And Meredith realizes it's Shelby. And she runs to the car because she's going to call the cops. Like, she, she can't just, like, ignore the fact that they killed a woman she knows. And B, like, tries to grab her phone from her and is like, we're drunk. She's dead. She's dead. I checked for a pulse. There's none. There's nothing we can do for her. I'll go to jail if anyone finds out about this. And Meredith's obviously like, you want to just fucking leave? Like, what are we supposed to do? And B's like, of course not. We can't just leave her here. And it's very clear from basically the time that B got back in the car and cut the lights off that she has a plan on what she's going to do. And yeah. it, at no point does it involve, like, doing the right thing. It just reminds me of, I believe it was a South Dakota attorney general. He was drunk, hit and killed somebody, left them on the side of the road, and drove off. And I, I think he got probation. Oh my god! Yeah, oh I could god. I could one hundred percent be wrong. He could have jail time, but I I don't think he had to resign from his position at all. Let me Google it right now to make sure 
I was typing in and he said South Dakota. What was he? I think he was the attorney general. Oh my God. That would be even fucking worse. Like the person responsible for like enforcing fucking laws. Oh my God. It seems like one of the things Google is suggesting is South Dakota attorney general hit and run. Yes. So he was (sighs) impeached and removed from office. Man. But losing your job barely does not equate to losing your life. No. I'm kind of scrolling this article because I kind of want to see how it ended up too. There's a picture of his widow in here. That's very sad. Is that all that he was then? Impeached and removed? Not anything else? I, I think so. I can't even form a thought. What? I'm going to have to do more Googling about this later. He, he had to have been in trouble. Like, he, he couldn't have just been impeached over this. Like, there had to have been, like, criminal charges. I feel like there was, but, like, not Not, not enough. Yeah. Yeah, that is very similar. And if attorney generals are doing it, I bet you it happens way more than we probably think. And yeah, and the attorney general said that he thought it was an elk. Or, like, some big game animal. If you cannot tell the difference between an elk and a human, you shouldn't be driving. You cannot see well. You would not pass the fucking vision test in the DMV. My God. This also, like, brings me to this thing that I've been seeing a lot lately. The conversation about how cities are not walkable and how having, like, not walkable cities, like, not having sidewalks that are complete or whatever, um, leads to car accidents. Hmm. Actually, a car accident on a street that doesn't have a sidewalk is a main theme of that Stephen King fairy tale book that I'm reading right now. That's interesting. And you know how fiction books of the time often talk about real life problems. Not having sidewalks in America is a real problem for a lot of people. Yeah. That's crazy. She should have been on the sidewalk. I just can't believe that. B, you psycho. She def, her and this attorney general would have been besties. Best friends. A thousand percent. B wants to hide the body. Um, She's like, we have to save ourselves. She's already dead. And Meredith's like, okay, we'll, we'll leave her then. We'll leave her here and we'll make an anonymous phone call to the police. She's thinking if the alternative is hiding her body, it's better than to just leave her here. And B's like, we can't do that. And B obviously has already thought about that. And she says, because if we leave her here, the police are searching for a driver of a hit and run by morning, at latest, if not tonight. If we get rid of her, they're looking for a missing person. It's different. Don't you see that, Meredith? For all we know, there are tire impressions on her body, paint on her clothes, evidence that connects her to me. We have no other choice. And she's making such good points here. And it's not just that, like, a missing person investigation is different and they're looking for different people. That starts way later than a hit-and-run accident does because, like we've discussed on previous episodes for this book, the police don't even investigate adults who are missing for at least 24 to 48 hours. Yep. Um, So B's absolutely fucking right that she could get away with this if they hide the body and not have it investigated as a hit and run meredith hates this she's crying and basically the entire time she's helping b enact her plan she's on the verge of vomiting the second to last paragraph on page 283 just made me 
it just pissed me the fuck off. Like, B is still trying to talk Meredith in it and, like, trying to get rid of her conscience. And she's like, haven't you figured it out yet? You're no innocent bystander. You're already part of it. What do you think Josh would say if he knew we plowed down some woman in the street? You think that husband of yours would ever think the same of you? And, like, I do. Also, she didn't plow someone over in the street. You did, B. Yeah, I, I think if she did go to jail, like B's acting like she'd get locked up for voluntary vehicular manslaughter. She, she, maybe, maybe she would be in trouble for like moving the body after the fact, but definitely nothing else. Yeah. So anyway, B is making Meredith get out of the car to help her get Shelby's body into the trunk. And the whole time Meredith is just like, this is a dream. This is a horrible nightmare, but she never wakes up. So she just has to help. And the last half of page 284 is her describing picking up the dead body and putting it into the trunk. And she's talking about how her head has a mark that's swollen and bloody. And she's just assuming that it was head trauma or organ failure, internal hemorrhaging, just terrible things that went on inside her body after she died. Or that caused her death. And then she describes how B just plumps her, plucks her in the trunk like junk. And she like gently tries to put her in there because like she fucking knew Shelby. She was in the room when she delivered her baby a few weeks ago. This, oh my God, just what a small world. How fucking crazy. Meredith I, swears she hears a noise coming from Shelby. Because you would, like, you would be hearing all kinds of things at this point. Like what kind of mindset would you have to be in? Yeah. B is not going to let her open back up the trunk, though, to check if Shelby is making any noise. They're driving. They've got places to be. And they drive off. They go find somewhere to put her. And the whole time, Meredith is just, like, hoping that she's not back there dying in the trunk and just thinking the worst. All Although, I mean, kind of the worst has already happened. The whole time they're driving, Meredith is trying to, like, reason with B. And... They just end up, like, arguing, and B is just, like, absolutely fucking not going to jail. They're going to cover this up. It's obviously still raining, and we go to where we know Shelby's body was found, and they t- carry her out into the woods. It's muddy. They're soaked. And they literally dig Shelby's graves with their hands. Ugh. She's just crying as she digs. I imagine it takes four fucking ever. She says it's not nearly deep or wide enough because they didn't have a shovel. B uses an ice scraper for a little bit, but that's it. And then on page 288, we find out why she was naked. B strips off her clothes. And Meredith feels fucking sick about this. She's just like looking at her dead naked body and asking B why she's doing that. And B's like, if she's naked, it implies something sexual happened here. The police will go searching for a man. Like, she is making sure she is not going to be caught for this. And, like, it's fucking brilliant and it does work, but what a psycho! Oh, my God! It kind of makes me feel, it kind of makes me feel that B might have done this before. Right, like, what else has she covered up? And then, after she kills Meredith, she helps Meredith's stricken husband and son look for her are you oh my god oh my god it's fucking crazy it, it just the 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 psychoticness of it just really fucks me up it's finally done they buried her and they get back in the car and b starts to drive her home she parks a little way away from the house cuts the engine cuts the lights and goes and 
gets Meredith out of the car, makes Meredith go and get her some bleach, and then makes Meredith walk back home, tells her to get in the shower and go to bed. Before she leaves, though, she takes all of Meredith's clothes, which would concern the fuck out of me. Yeah, same. So, like, just to recap, Meredith started this night manipulating her husband into going to dinner with her so she could tell him about a regular relationship that she had back in college that literally doesn't matter at all now, but one of her neighbors is being a cunt. And then it turned into a little bit of a birthday celebration. And then her friend killed someone. She found out that her friend is a fucking psycho, helped her friend bury the body of one of her clients who she had grown kind of fond of because she was in a kind of rough marriage and didn't really know anyone there. And then was stripped naked by said psychotic friend and just told to go lay in bed with your husband and shut up and don't talk about this. Sounds fun. What a night. Yeah. Uh, Can't relate. That's fucking insane. (laughs) That's the end of that chapter though. Meredith is telling B that she'll never be able to forget this and B's just like, you need to. And that was kind of B's first threat to her. Yes. So at the last chapter, when she was talking about the, like the last Meredith chapter, when she was talking about the accidents, I was like, okay, they hit somebody, they covered something up and that's how she ended up dead. Um, And this chapter clearly fucking sealed it for me. Like B is a killer. Like if you can do this and like make a woman look like the victim of sexual violence to get yourself off of what would probably come down to probation in the end you could kill someone in my mind. Like that's a very yeah. short jump. That That's, that's like right across the street. Yep. Not, not like a big street, like a subdivision street, you know, with no traffic. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of that crazy ass chapter. Ugh, I feel so bad for Meredith. And even up to this, she's been dealing with Cassandra harassing her for weeks over once again, a relationship that was not secretive well I mean it was kind of secretive because they didn't tell her about it but like it was something 15 years ago my goodness why isn't Cassandra mad at Marty anyway anyway we're on page 291 now we're out of Meredith we're back we're with Leo in the here and now and they're talking about the hypnosis Actually, he's talking about how he didn't go to the hypnosis. He ended up going to school instead and got bullied there. And just why does every part of this book make me so fucking sad and mad? Yeah. Well, anyway. he, get, he gets home. Uh, he asks his dad how hypnosis went. He could tell it didn't go well because um, the girl kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then uh, Leo finds out that Gus was a made-up character. And Leo does not say really nice things about her. Yeah, this chapter, oh my god, Leo, Leo, Leo. Like, he's pissed at her for making up Gus. But I'm like, I'm surprised she only made up one friend. I'm surprised she doesn't have, like, multiple personalities. Like, I'm surprised that the only thing wrong with her is that she had an imaginary friend. She was in a dark hole for 11 years. Yep. He's pissed at her for wasting everybody's time and lying. Like, he feels like she did this on purpose. For attention. (sighs) Yeah. And he even, like, starts calling her names. He calls her a schizo. If she's not a liar, then what is she, a schizo? And, like, he realizes he's being a jerk, but he's so pissed. Like, he feels really betrayed that they were getting close and she was a liar the whole time. 
this whole outburst from him has Delilah like shaking and crying. And he says, maybe that's pretend too. Maybe you're making it up just to dupe us. And I, I hate the way this chapter ends. He's just like, if I lied, my dad would take away my internet for a month. But if you lie, he babies you. After you're done shitting your pants, dad goes back to his ground beef and I stand there watching the whole thing, then leave. No one even asks about my day. I added the even in there. I feel like he wanted to say it that way. Yeah. Ugh, man. After I read this chapter, I was like, he doesn't understand, like, PTSD. And, like, she had nobody. So, of course, she probably made somebody up. Yeah. And, like, the fact that she thought Gus was real just tells you how fucking isolated she really was. But it makes sense now. Yeah. Like, if you go back to read her chapter, how Gus never really moved. He didn't really talk. Like He didn't want to help with anything. He never went and got the food. He never ate any of the food. Mm-hmm. She was always saving some for him and then forcing herself to eat it because he didn't want to eat any of it. Yep. I felt, I just felt gross after this chapter because, like, I'm mad at Leo for having that reaction. But also, he's 15. He probably doesn't know a, sh- a single thing about PTSD. And he's had a super hard life. Like, his mom died. His sister's been missing, and every single day he goes to school, it's fucking hell. And his daycare career was hell, which we will learn more more about soon. And it seems like his dad just doesn't care. Yeah, that adds to his stress, too, because it's always seemed to him like his dad doesn't care. His dad's focus has always been finding Delilah. Yeah. So that ends that chapter, and on page 295, we're back with Meredith. 11 years before, the day after the accident, I guess we'll call it. (sighs) Josh is up and he's like, you forgot to wake me up. And I'm like, yeah, there was no way she was having sex with you after everything that happened last night. Sorry, Josh. Yep. She tells him she's going to make it up to him because she feels bad and she remembers what a good night they were having before, obviously, but like. Thank God he just thinks she's hungover and not that she murdered someone last night and then covered up the body. She's just keeping so many secrets on these last few chapters from Josh about B, about Shelby, about Cassandra and Marty, about Dr. Feingold, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Page 296 is just Josh being a good husband. He goes and makes her a fresh pot of coffee and... He's really proud of her for, like, being a good friend and staying out with B and showing her a good time. He's saying she's really lucky to have you instead of, like, being mad that she wanted to stay out and help her friend celebrate her birthday, which is good husband energy in my opinion, Opinion, even though um, he doesn't know what a bad turn it took. We find out on page 297 that people are already looking for Shelby. She's on the news by that night. Meredith is really freaking worried about all of her secrets being found out on this page as well. Um, She's just thinking about all the things she can't tell Josh. And by the end of page 297, it's the next day and B is already harassing her, making sure Meredith is not going to tell. (sighs) Her last few weeks were fucking awful. Just so stressful. Not because of her family life, though. Thank goodness her husband and kids are just... At least she's got them, you know? Yeah. Anyway, B has literally just come over to, like, quote-unquote, remind Meredith to act normal, but, you know, to menace her, basically. I think Meredith probably knew this was going to be her life now with B. 
Yeah. So this is when Meredith tells B that Meredith delivered Shelby's baby. Then B was like, well, what would you do if your client had gone missing? Yep. So B wants Meredith to call Shelby's husband and give her condolences as if everything was normal. Because B is very fucking smart and good at covering her tracks. If she didn't, it would be suspicious. Right? Yeah. So that sucks. And Meredith is bad at lying. She hates lying. And then we kind of talk the rest of the two pages about the cops looking for Shelby. And Josh can tell that Meredith's attitude has changed. He's trying to figure out what's wrong. And she goes, I'm fine. Yeah. She's snapping at him and he feels like he might have upset her. And she's feeling really guilty because, like, she can't act normal because all of this shit that's going on. But it's not his fault. And she's, oh, my God. She's just searching shit that, first of all, you do not want on your search history if maybe you committed a crime. And second of all, it's not going to make you feel better. She wants to know how exactly one dies in an auto pedestrian accident and it's often head trauma organ damage like she thought internal bleeding and she's just going down a rabbit hole of what could have happened to uh, Shelby's body with the force of the impact and all kinds of stuff and she kind of deduces that she must have been bit down tying her shoe because of the way the body didn't fly over the top instead it like fell in front of her like The things you can find out from people getting hit by a car enough and them doing statistics on it, right? Yeah. This final line on page 299, who'd ever think you could be killed while tying a shoe? I noted that too. Yeah. But, you know, people get killed doing normal shit all the time. Do you remember the first freaking lines of Verity? Yes. That guy was just walking and texting and then got creamed by a truck. Yes. I mean, that's not real life, but... I'm sure it was spurred by something. Probably. I feel like everything that's written is spurred by something. Meredith lives her last few life or last few days just nonstop thinking about Shelby, thinking about Shelby's dead body. And on page 300, she's just thinking about how cold and wet she probably is out there in the place where they buried her, basically the woods. She can't even fucking pick her clothes. She's just like that level of anxiety. She's super fucking depressed. I just noted on page 300 and 301 that she just seems super depressed and anxious. And then in the middle of page 301, she goes and buys a blanket and goes to Shelby's body. She wears gloves and she ends up unburying Shelby's body a little. She says it's unspeakable what she sees. And then she covers Shelby's body with a blanket. So that's where the blanket came from. When Kate thought it seemed like a sign of remorse, it wasn't remorse from her crazy ass wife. No, no, no. No. It was remorse from her unwilling and forced accomplice. So then as she's leaving, she notices all her mud prints and then she has to go back and like cover up her mud prints. Like this must have been like a really long chore that she did. And she's even thinking like, this is how you get caught, but she had to do it. It's the only thing that will get her through the night is knowing that even though Shelby's alone out there, at least she's not cold. And at this point, I can't believe she hasn't turned herself in yet. Like, she's sick with guilt. And if B hadn't have killed her, she would have turned them in sooner or later. And honestly, I don't think Meredith would have gotten in trouble at all. I don't think so either. So Maybe probation. Yeah. Maybe probation. But she probably would have, like, 
gone to a lawyer, gotten a deal and then went to the cops or like gotten a lawyer and then had the, them go to the cops and been like, we're not talking unless you give us a deal, you know, mm -hmm. then we wouldn't have a book and we wouldn't be in the next chapter with Leo on page 303. I really like the second line of this chapter. It says algebra is the only class I like because there's a right and wrong answer and no in between. And <laughs> That's why I like math classes too. English classes, garbage. I'm not trying to write an essay. Math classes, cool, legit. Anyway, Leo seems like a bit of a ner nerd. I can relate, but that last chapter, God, what a jerk he was. Thank God he's acting a little better now. His dad's coming in to tell him that he's not really giving Delilah a fair go of it. And he's kind of like listening with his little kid attitude that he has and as his dad is talking, he kind of notices that his dad is aging and he has been aging at an increasing rate ever since, like, he says, mom died, Meredith. And he notices how he just doesn't eat much. He's depressed. He's got a little pouch in the front. And <laughs> he says, I was a skeptic when he told me he competed in a marathon before I was born. I called bullshit. He showed me the medal to prove it. The only reason he ever runs now is when there's been a potential sighting of you. Man. So anyways, he kind of explains to Leo that Delilah developing this best friend, this fake imaginary friend is kind of normal because she was fucked up in that hole. And Leo's kind of like shocked because his dad just said fuck. It makes Leo kind of understand and he feels bad and he mentions at the top of page 305 that Josh doesn't make him apologize but he does it anyways and then him and his dad sit there and watch some old home videos of when everybody was there and happy. The last sentence is for just a little while it's like you are you again and mom is still alive. See I still like in my head I still don't think that B had killed Meredith. I don't know what I was thinking. In my head at this point, because Delilah is still Delilah at this point, and I was thinking that it was two separate incidences. Like, Kate and B, not Kate and B, but B and Meredith had their drama, and then after, like, Meredith was taken that same day, the people who Cassandra said she saw looking in the window came and took Delilah. In my head, there was two separate crimes, and Delilah was still taken by these people for no fucking reason. <laughs> okay, okay, I could see that. that. Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head. So we're with Meredith now on page 306, 11 years before, and she starts this chapter thinking, I can't keep going on like this. Josh can tell something is wrong. And she's just not handling things well. And B is basically fucking stalking her. She comes by almost every day. Every time she's home alone, she monitors her comings and goings and likes to come over and tell Meredith she needs to act normal. But Meredith, like, literally can't even sleep. She can't eat. She's so stressed. At the end of page 307, she's thinking of a Bible verse, the truth shall set you free. So, yeah, she's thinking of, you know, it sounds so simple. I make the mistake of telling B, which is insane. Why would you tell her? She's B thinks she's in the clear. You're her only loose end at this point. B is your nemesis. But okay, Meredith is just the sweetest, nicest. Like she wants to believe the best in people. But she tells B that she wants to go to the police and tell them that it was an accident. And B is like, do you just think they'll understand? Like, 
I didn't step on a bug. I killed a person. We killed a person. And she's kind of like pleading with her to do this. But B just ends this chapter saying, are you really that dumb? Since when did you turn into a lawyer? Because Meredith is trying to tell her that they can't really get in trouble for all of this. And B is scary. Terrifying. At this point, like, B is doing a really good job of covering this up, but I couldn't help but wondering at this point, isn't her car, like, visibly damaged? Yeah. Because that was one of her things. Well, that was one of her things as to why they couldn't call the police. Because they would notice the damage on the car. Mm Mm-hmm. Kate didn't notice and have some questions. Anyway, that chapter ends with Meredith collapsing into an armchair and not moving for six hours. That's the level of stress she is. She just, like, sits, zones out, can't do anything except think about, like, how fucked up that other night was. The next chapter is Leo, current times. And this shit, I couldn't fucking, oh my god, I couldn't believe this chapter. Piper wants to show Leo something, and it turns out to be a picture of Delilah. So she goes up to Leo, and she's kind of explaining how her bitch-ass mom made her get rid of everything after... Delilah went missing. Yes. They moved, like, five days later, and then her mom made her throw everything out. She just got to keep one picture. And her mom even made her get rid of her best friend necklace because what's the point in having it if you only have half? And she got a new one and gave it to Lily Morris. And Lily Morris ended up being a little turd nugget. and A backstabbing bitch, which we knew she was going to be. We freaking knew it the whole time because, like, Of course she was. She started a rumor in the fourth grade that poor little Piper peed her pants. That sounded like a tongue twister almost. Yeah. But Leo has a little crush on her. Like, he's kind of thinking about how how cool it would be to have a girlfriend in this part of the book and how if she really did pee her pants in the fourth grade, it's kind of endearing. But that's not what this is about. Piper came to talk to him about some serious fucking business. And she shows him the picture in the paper. And she shows him the picture of Delilah when they were five, like from way back in the day. And Delilah, when she was five with Piper, had a butt chin. Delilah in the newspaper does not have a butt chin. And Piper's like, that, you can't get rid of that. You're born with it and you have it forever. That's not Delilah that you have in your house right now. And then the chapter turns. What? I, I, was, I, I was floored at this point because Delilah left that house after she shanked that man and told a stranger in the woods that she was Delilah. And they had the DNA test. Yes, the DNA tests. Oh my gosh. I just, I, I can't, oh man, so much stuff, so much drama. It, it, I can't help but think that if this happened in real life, I would be pissed. People would be getting sued like crazy. Anyway, that ends that chapter. Could you imagine being like 15 and being told that this like sister that went missing and then you found again like was not who it was that's such a mind fuck so we go back to meredith in the next chapter 11 years before we're in may on page 312 and oh my gosh this is a bad chapter after bad chapter yeah at least we got the at least we got that one good chapter before it all went to shit it wasn't enough it wasn't even a whole good chapter. It was like four good pages and then some shit. I've talked to Matt about this Meredith chapter so much since I've read it. Like, oh my gosh. Okay, so let's get into it. 
Charlotte calls and says she has a confession to make. And how can Meredith take much more at this point? Like, fuck. And she says, someone has been picking on Leo. And she starts to cry and says, oh, God, Meredith, I'm so sorry. I feel awful about it. I should have known. And, of course, she didn't fucking know. She has 100 kids in her illegal daycare. There's no way this shit is licensed. There's no No. way that a government employee has ever seen this shit. And Meredith is like, how would you have known? And Charlotte's like, it's my job to know these things, especially after you called about the bruise. I should have paid more attention, blah, blah, blah. And we find out that he's being picked on by this kid named Brody Parker. And we find out how Charlotte came to find out about Brody Parker picking on Leo. And she's talking about how... Everybody's been locked inside. It's been raining a lot. But Brody told her he wanted to run outside real quick and get some shit from the toy chest. He convinced Leo to go with him, locked Leo in the toy chest, and went back inside. And Charlotte didn't notice and then took the kids to go pick up the kids from school, came back, and had everybody start picking up their shit. And when she realized that Leo's puzzle still wasn't picked up and that's not like him, she realized he was missing. And she tells Meredith... There's no way he was locked in that chest for more than an hour. It sounds like more than an hour to me. And the way that you're phrasing it as there's no way it was more than an hour sounds like it was like 59 minutes, 59 and a half minutes. Like the fuck. And Brody Parker is 11 years old. Yes. He's in fifth grade and Leo is four. That's in. Oh my God. Charlotte kicks Brody out of the daycare and like, obviously wants Meredith to keep bringing her kids to the daycare, but my God, I think Meredith does end up taking Leo again. And that's really good for her, but I would never take my kids to daycare again after that. That would be my last daycare experience ever. That's insane. I would be calling CPS on her. Like I would be taking her shit down like an hour and locked in a toy chest that is smaller than Leo. Yeah, and he's four years old. She said the toy chest is so small, he would have had to have his knees up to his chest to be in there. And, like, this kid has been terrorizing him so long and for so bad that he cries upon, like, seeing the door to the daycare. Like, that's got to be so heartbreaking to hear as a mom, especially on top of having just killed one of your clients and being harassed by one of your neighbors for weeks and getting ready to testify against a doctor in a malpractice suit. All of that is happening at once. Like that's just so much. Anyway, that's the end of that chapter. Thank God it was a quick one and she just ripped the bandaid off, but Jesus Brody, what do kids like that turn into when they grow up? Bigger bullies. Uh, They're on the football team. They might be school shooters. Yeah, I'm imagining the guy at the Cracker Barrel chasing somebody down and trying to make them listen to a song and then calling the cops and saying, hey, this girl's dad threatened me because I was just chasing her a little. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyways, now we're with Leo. And now I have a lot of fucking compassion for him, even though he freaked out, you know, at Delilah before because, like, wow, what a childhood. And I mean that in the saddest way possible. That is so crushing. Like, could it be worse? His mom and his sister both missing, one of them dead. And before that, he was locked in a chest by a bully. My God. But at least, like, I was thinking the worst when I heard about the booty bruise, not going to lie. 
this yeah. is better than what it could have been. Yes. Still horrific. Yes. So Leo's back home once we start his chapter on 315 and he's just staring at Delilah and she doesn't have the butt chin. He's doing some digging on the internet later and seeing that, yeah, you can't get rid of a cleft chin unless you get surgery and it's two or $3,000. And he's thinking, I seriously doubt those meth heads forked over a couple grand for a chin implant. He's, he's obsessed. Like he sees what Piper sees and he does not believe that you're the same person. And two days later, he ends up showing Josh the pictures and says, like, at first, Josh flies off the handle, mostly at Leo for making shit up. But the longer he stares at the pictures, the more he starts to be like, okay, that's not actually Delilah. And now he's like, the DNA tests. How were the DNA tests wrong? So they go to the police station, as, like, you would do. And Mm. Carmen... Mrs. Lady Cough herself is being very fucking weird when he wants to see the results himself. And even her little helper is like, I'll go get them for you. I know where they're at on your desk. And she's like, no, I'll get them myself. She's, she's saying the records aren't there. They're not anywhere. She can't find them in the computer. The henchman's like, oh, I'll do it. I'll, I'll look it up in the computer. And finally, she fucking admits that she lied because they'd been looking for Delilah for so long she wanted to give him a win so when she got the results back that were negative which if you remember they were talking about how normally when a missing child is found they would do the DNA test before they would place them with the family but Mm -hmm. they decided to place Delilah right away because it just had been so long and this cop already had a personal relationship with Josh so that personal relationship caused them to allow Delilah to stay in this house before the DNA test and then once the DNA test was done and she got the results and found out she wasn't Delilah she just lied because she didn't want to hurt Josh's feelings and take the child away at this point in the middle of 319 when we find out I'm like what about that child's real family like could Could you imagine finding out that your kid lived in some random stranger's home for weeks? You didn't even know they were found because some cop lied. Like, oh my God, that department is getting sued. That county is getting sued. That individual cop is probably getting sued. So many lawsuits because this lady didn't want to hurt Josh's feelings. Josh is upset. He's crying. And even Leo's like, I can't even be embarrassed that he's crying this time. This is a sad thing. Oh, man. Leo's going to grow up to be a crier himself. He doesn't even know it. That is a-okay. They end up pulling the girl into an office to question her again. And they're like, what makes you think that he was your dad? And she just doesn't answer. We end this chapter with the Delilah that we know crying, saying, you are. You are my daddy. And then by the end, even Leo is crying. And I'm like, okay, so these people convinced her she was Delilah. That's who she said when... We first met her, and now how do we know that the blood in the garage did not belong to Delilah or Meredith? At this point, I'm thinking that because, like, if she lied about one test, why wouldn't she lie about all of them? This entire investigation is bunk. Yeah. (sighs) And that's the last time we hear from Lady Cop? It is. I'm assuming, and Leo was assuming in this chapter, that she's probably going to be fired and probably have charges pressed against her, and rightfully fucking so. Yeah. Like, her not wanting to hurt Josh ended up hurting him anyways, just Mm -hmm. in a different way. You know, I feel like pulling off the Band-Aid before would have been better, but 
once again, it's a book and Mary is fucking with us. Just the, the twists and turns left and right at the last third of this book. It, it was crazy. So now we're on page 321 with Meredith, 11 years before, back in May. And Delilah's up in the middle of the night with a fever. She like even sweated through her sheets. And she's like so feverish that she's like seeing things. She thought she saw somebody in her room. This is when I was like, oh, someone did take her. Yes, like it, it's you start to even think that maybe it is separate things, and oh my gosh, and the way these chapters are laid out with the DNA right before this, you're just thinking crazy shit while you're reading this, aren't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> so Delilah is sick. She's got like 104 fever, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. But Meredith, so she should be going to, her, to the hospital. Really, that's six years old. Can't that cause? I mean, that can cause brain damage in in adults, but fuck yeah, up. six years old though. You have like some. You got to do something, right? Yeah. I just found out yesterday, having children seems insane. You can't give babies water or they'll die. Yeah, you have to wait till like six months. I didn't know this. It gets into their bloodstream and like thins it out. They just, oh, that's fucking crazy. 33 years old and I did not know you couldn't give babies water. How did you learn that? Well, my mom runs a daycare. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> My mom ended her daycare when I was like 14. And at that point, I didn't give a fuck about a kid. Could not you also care can't, less. You also can't give them honey until they're like two years old. So that's not common knowledge. Like I kind of know about grapes because of the skin. Mm -hmm. But I feel like these things are not common knowledge. It's not like taught to everyone. But we're a thousand percent ready to force 50% of the population to be parents. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And they better anyway. figure it out. Yeah, they can't, better figure it out. Can't wait to see what that infant mortality rate rises to, Could especially you... in a fucking country where it's already high and it shouldn't be. Right. And like, I, I feel like if you accidentally gave your baby water because you're a fucking idiot and it died, you could probably be in trouble for that. Yes. Like some sort of neglect or something like that. Yes. And I mean, I'm sure if you're pregnant, you're reading stuff and you're figuring stuff out like that. But if you actively don't want to have the baby, you're probably not. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Delilah is sick, and Meredith gets her all situated, but she doesn't wake Josh up. He, he's tired, and he has to go to work in the morning, so she doesn't want to wake him up. But this is kind of why Josh didn't know that Delilah was sick, because he was sleeping, and by the time Meredith wakes up, Josh is gone. He's gone to work. I'm reading over this page again because I <clears throat> felt like I remembered that he left some coffee on the table. Yep. He did, but it was he's cold. Because he left so long ago. But he tried. He tries to be a good husband, doesn't he? I appreciate yeah. that. The next couple of pages are just, like, describing mom shit. Like, Leo's starting to wake up. Delilah hasn't stirred yet. Meredith is just trying to decide if she wants to take the kids to daycare. Obviously, she can't take Delilah, but she wants to get Leo into the daycare because... The bully issue was just resolved, and she thinks that if she doesn't take him now, it's just going to be that much harder to get him to go next time. She's given Delilah some medicine, checking her temperature. It's still 104 or 103 now. Maybe it was 103 before, but still really high. And they go to drop off Leo. She told Leo that Brody wasn't there, and he didn't cry at drop off this time, so... She's feeling a lot better, and I'm feeling a lot better, so at least he has some good days in the daycare before he gets to school with those shitty kids. They get back home. Delilah goes to the couch. She, you know, she's just relaxing because she's sick. Meredith realizes she needs to tell Josh what's up, that 
One kid's at daycare, one kid is homesick, realizes she doesn't have her phone, goes out to the garage to get her phone where she probably left it when she was driving. And when she, she gets says there, that she had a bad feeling about leaving. Yes. And of course she would. She's been stalked for weeks. Like even before B, she was getting stalked by Cassandra. And now like B is literally watching her coming in and out of her house. Like that's so uncomfortable sounding. And when she goes to grab her purse from the car, everything spills out. She drops it and everything spills out. So she's like reaching down to grab her phone. And then she hears, good morning, Meredith from B standing outside the garage and B like steps into the garage telling Meredith you don't look good and Meredith is kind of thinking like yeah I haven't showered and I don't look that good whatever and god I hate this fucking chapter Meredith is again like telling B how every time she closes her eyes she sees her she just does not want to continue lying about this and at this point I was like Meredith shut the fuck up yeah. Shut the fuck up. She should have just gone to the cops. Like, she should have helped B when she was in danger that night, and then the next fucking morning, gone to the cops. Yes. Of course, we wouldn't have a fantastic story then, like I keep saying. But anyway, <laughs> Meredith is finally like, I'm done. I can't keep this secret anymore. And at this point, Jason's already been arrested, B says. Well, he hasn't been arrested. He's already guilty according to the court of public opinion. He'll be arrested soon. Then our lives can go on. This is where Meredith finds out that B, like, put the clothes in the trash to frame him. If you remember from a few chapters before, her clothes were found in the trash at his work. Like, she is a master class manipulator. Yeah. And once meredith realizes that b is going to frame jason she says i'm calling the police b kind of like laughs at her and then she realizes she's serious and starts begging her they're kind of arguing on page 327 and 328 meredith is like i'll take the blame i'll say that i was driving like we can do it that way b's like no one will even believe you you're not even a good liar you couldn't have pulled it off without me you're only a hundred pounds there's no way you could have buried her they end up fighting over the phone. Meredith, like, lunges for it. B tries to stop her, and they fight a little bit. And B gets cut on some exposed nails in the garage. And at this point, I'm like, okay, that's where the little bit of blood is. Yep. On the garage floor. And, of course, they haven't identified it. B probably doesn't have a criminal record. B's fucking pissed. Meredith is, like, trying to get out of there. And at some point, she grabs a hammer and... Meredith's like, what do you think you're going to do with that? And B's like, give me the phone and I'll put it down. And Meredith, like, straight doesn't believe her. She turns around and starts to walk away. And B is being crazy, like, don't fucking test me. And Meredith's like, or what? What will you do to me? And she starts walking away, sees Delilah standing in the garage door. And Delilah's like, mommy? She, like, sees B lifting the hammer over her mom's head. And then B cracks her in the fucking skull with it delilah saw that shit this chapter ends with meredith passing out from being hit in the head with a hammer she doesn't even have time to tell delilah to run she doesn't delilah saw that whole thing she was there trying to get the remote to work if the remote had been working would kate have left delilah in the house not knowing she was there the whole time like just it's just the little things isn't it yeah so that ends that chapter, and then we end up with Leo in the here and now. And 
the girl comes back to their place. Yeah. They're figuring out why she thinks she was Delilah. And apparently Eddie and Martha, the people who kidnapped her, made her believe she was Delilah because they were obsessed with Delilah's missing person case and how much attention Josh and the family got from that missing person case. So they straight up snatched this pretty little redheaded girl off the side of somewhere just because they wanted to get famous. Didn't work out. (sighs) They find out what her real name is. They find out who her real family is. And they tell her that she's going to go home to her real family and let her go up to her room to pack. And then after half an hour, they realize she's gone. You've run away, it says. The window is open. My sister's bedroom is on the second floor, and there's a roof and trellis just outside. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and you're desperate. Like, she's, she, she doesn't know who any fucking body is. She can't trust the cops. She can't trust this family that just picked her up. She can't trust those people who kidnapped her for sure. I'm sure she doesn't want to go to a fourth location, you know? Yeah, she's probably terrified. So, also, why weren't there cops, like, outside? Yeah, like... I, oh my gosh, I don't understand, like, the cops did such a bad job from start to finish in every single case in this book. Yes. Oh my god. They didn't solve a single one. No. Oh my god. I, I get it though, Mary. They don't, do they do that in real life, question mark? I don't know. No. So that ends that chapter, and we're back with Meredith 11 years ago on page 335 and she's starting to wake up but she's obviously like having some concussion symptoms and she can hear someone humming she doesn't know where she is she doesn't know why she's there she kind of seems to have forgotten what happened for a moment or so and then she realizes she's in the backseat of her own car and b is driving and delilah is nowhere to be seen then she starts to remember what's going on and of course immediately is like where is delilah and b's like oh you're awake doesn't want to answer her questions and meredith starts trying to get out but she's in the back seat she's child locked in the whole time she's like asking where delilah is if she got hurt and then she starts trying to get up front because the back seats are obviously child locked when she like reaches up front she's gonna jerk the wheel and try to cause the car to go out of control and like at least I don't know like cause B to get caught off guard and maybe have the upper hand somehow you know you got to do crazy shit desperate times call for desperate measures you know and then she sees a knife on the passenger seat she goes to lunge for it B grabs it and now she's kind of like threatening her with the knife Meredith is terrified that she's already stabbed Delilah to death but because B has this knife Meredith sits down and shuts up they get there. It's the motel. B wants Meredith to go get a room for a month. And she's going to sit outside and wait and make sure that she doesn't say anything bad. And of course, Meredith's like, how are you going to make me do that? B, we're out here in public now. And Kate, B is like, I keep wanting to call her Kate, but poor Kate doesn't even know anything. B is like, if you want to keep Delilah alive, you're going to do whatever the fuck I say. So Meredith obviously does whatever she says and goes into the motel, gets a room for a month, and then they get to the motel room. And she's just talking about how disgusting it is. The carpet is stained. There's plaster flaking off the wall. 
she's begging with B to just let her go. Delilah is sick. She needs Tylenol. B doesn't care. She tells her, I need you to find a paper and pen. And I'm like, fuck, she's going to write the suicide note. This is happening. Mm -hmm. This is happening. And she tells her, write this down. Delilah is safe. She is fine. I look at it, not understanding. Just do it, she says when I hesitate. And Meredith does it. She still doesn't understand. Like, poor Meredith, poor naive Meredith. In the middle of page 340, she's thinking about how B must have a plan to make Josh think that she ran away to buy herself time to figure out what to do. And she's thinking, I could survive a month here. Like, uh, she thinks that she's going to live. She's confused that B didn't bring Delilah and her at the same time, but eventually she's sure B plans to bring Delilah. And then at like the bottom of page 340, B tells her, I need you to understand it needs to look like a suicide. And then goes over and slashes her fucking wrists. And all the while she's like cutting her and telling her like, this is your, cho- your fault. You left me no choice. I told you so many times I can't go to jail and Meredith's wrists are bleeding and she tries to hide her arms behind herself like thinking that will buy herself more time so B just stabs her in the gut and that's it B says I'm sorry I'm so fucking sorry and I'm like okay this is a weird time to be sorry like you could have not stabbed her and been sorry before like what and she just lets Meredith die Meredith really did not deserve that shit, though. She, like, she was a good person. And the last paragraph on 342. I collapse onto the motel floor. The floor catches my body. And I think, what a relief it is to lie down. I'm so tired. For the first time in days, I think that I could sleep. (sighs) Broke my heart. Broke my heart. She was the nicest person in this entire book. Besides Kate. But, Kate, no eyeballs on you? what the fuck? That was the second to last chapter of the entire book. We're about to finally find out where the real Delilah is. And of course we end the book with Kate in the here and now. Her and B are in the kitchen. They're just having their normal like day. And you kind of find out in this chapter because we haven't heard from Kate in the here and now. We've only heard from her back in the day when she was helping look for Delilah and Meredith. She had to put a dog down that day. She's like having kind of a bad day. But you basically find out that her and B had a normal life. Like, they got married. Yeah, they got married. They just, nothing like Josh and Leo's. Anyway, the doorbell rings or somebody knocks. Somebody's at the front door. And Josh and Leo are out there with a couple of uniformed police officers. And they explain that the girl who is not Delilah, her name is actually Carly, is missing. And they want to look around on the property for a missing child. And B says, of course, whatever you need. At this point, I'm kind of like, they didn't even invite Josh to their wedding. Like, B killed his wife and couldn't, he couldn't get an invite to the wedding? Jesus. Yeah. So anyways, they're looking around, looking around the hedges, looking around outside. And they want to search the garage. And B gets weird. She goes to the studio, jiggles the door handle, and says, uh, it's locked. She couldn't have gotten in here. There's no reason to look in there. And the officer's like, well, do you mind opening it for us? Like, we want to look anyway. And B's like, it's been locked all day, officer. No one could have gotten inside. And Kate thinks this is fucking weird. Like, why not just let them in? Kate's thinking, if I was B, I would just let them in, and then it would be done with it. And 
the cop is like, are you saying you won't open the door? Up to this point, Josh and Kate had been holding hands because Kate wanted to, like, comfort him. And Josh, like, let go of her hand at this point because he's starting to realize, like, B's being fucking weird. And B goes to get the key. Yep. And they're all outside talking. It's hot as shit. It's the middle of the summer. And... Kate goes in to go look for B, thinking maybe she misplaced the key and I need to go help her look for it. And B's fucking gone. Like, some of her clothes are gone. Like, she quickly packed. And Kate's just running through the house trying to figure out where the heck she could be. And she calls her and she doesn't answer. She just texts and says, forgive me. I didn't mean for any of it to happen. Kate's, like, texting her back, like, what, what do you mean? Oh, gosh, what the fuck? Finally, she runs back outside and tells the cops and Josh, like, she's gone. And Josh is like, what do you mean she's gone? And they break down the fucking door. And it leads into an attic that is locked as well. Page 350. Kate is kind of thinking about how she's never been in the garage in years. And how after, like, right after Delilah and Meredith went missing, Kate decided to redo the locks on the garage door and never gave her a key so she doesn't even have a key there's only one key the key that b had this whole time and that's fucking weird and the cops go in break it down and like you said there's an attic and the cops go in search and then a girl screams and i'm like oh my god it's got to be delilah how fucking crazy would it be to hear a girl screaming in your garage your soundproofed garage oh my gosh but they get Delilah out and she's like healthy and like full grown and B took a really, really good care of her despite the fact that she kept her in a fucking attic in a garage for 11 years. Kate is really like confused until Delilah says, I was there when she killed mommy and how weird it would be to hear a 17 year old say mommy, but like that's how little education and out into the world she got. Like it's mind blowing to me. Kate starts screaming. She doesn't even realize she's the one who's screaming because, like, that's fucking shocking. You find out, like, the living conditions that Delilah was in. And it was, like, one room. And it was a nice room. But she had a chamber pot. There was no, like, running water. And she had one little peephole in the window that B boarded up just to see her front yard so she could sometimes see Leo and Josh. Like, so fucking depressing. Delilah that whole time thought that she saw... B kill Meredith, but of course we know she only saw the hammer thing, and we know that she got knifed to death. We find out on page 354 that Carly Bird was found hiding in a park, and she gets to go home to her um, regular family. And eventually, they even find Eddie and Martha, who kidnapped Carly, because they went back to their house like a bunch of buffoons. B gets caught. She pleads guilty. And I'm just like, all this mess just to plead fucking guilty? Really? You're not even going to fight it? Like, you killed people to not get caught, and now you're going to plead guilty? But okay, whatever. Yeah. They confirm that it was B's blood in the garage. Jason gets released from prison, but Kate kind of thinks he goes home to nothing. His wife is dead. The child he once believed they shared is now with her real father. Kate uh, cries herself to sleep every night. She's really depressed about all the lives her ex-wife shattered. And one time she takes a call from B in prison because she wants to ask her what she was going to do with Delilah for the rest of her life. And she finds out that 
B only kept her up there because she didn't have the guts to kill her. Her intention was actually to just kill her too. But it was just a colossal mistake that spiraled out of control. I never set out to hurt anyone. Like, of course you didn't, you fucking narcissist. But the book ends with Josh and Kate on the front porch sharing a beer sometimes. And Leo and Delilah, like, being brother and sister. And Delilah being able to, like, snap back. Although it seems like she has a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome from her captivity. Kate says, they say time heals all wounds. Josh, Delilah, and Leo are evidence of this. As for me, I'm patiently waiting, but hopeful that my time will soon come. So many things happened that I just didn't expect. Like, my goodness. I know. B, you crazy bitch. My yes. goodness. But the whole time you were like, there's got to be something with that soundproof garage. There's got to be something with that soundproof garage. She just kept bringing it up so much, you know? So much. Yeah. She, okay, she mentioned it twice before the end of our second reading, but that felt like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> B wasn't even a character. She was a side character, but she was the villain the whole time. Yeah. My goodness. I love it. That was a good book. Um, I'm definitely going to have to read some more from this author, Mary Kubica. I think so. I'm going to have to read more from her, too. So should we do some of the questions? Yes. Number one, of the main narrators, Kate, Meredith, and Leo, which spoke to you most? Was there one you connected with more than others? Meredith, because I just feel like she was just living her life and people were just picking on her. I was going to say Meredith, too, and I was going to say because the anxiety that she lived with all yeah. those last weeks, I could totally relate to. Yeah. Kate, I cannot relate to because I ask way too many questions to be in a Kate B relationship. Yeah, no. I need a key to the garage. Why don't I have a key to the garage? I'm not going to go in there by myself. I'm scared, but I want to see what's in there. Mm-hmm. Why don't you ever take me up there? Yeah. Why did we board up the window? That's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so question number two is Meredith tries to find a work-life balance while having two young children and a very unpredictable schedule as a doula how do you feel about Meredith as a mother and how she raises her children I think she's a great mother I mean we kind of skimmed over it but in the chapter where she's talking about taking Leo back to daycare after Brody she's on the floor playing with him yeah and she always like goes out of her way to try to do what's right for her kids like she didn't want to try to talk to Cassandra and like make everything better but she wanted to make sure that Delilah still had her best friend yeah. She didn't want to reach out her hand and interrupt those adults when they were talking at drop off at kindergarten, but she didn't want Delilah to lose her best friend. And you can be busy and still care about your kids. Yep. <laughs> I feel like that question was trying to ask us if we think moms should have jobs or not. I think so too. <laughs> In a nice way. You know how when you go to a job interview and they ask you what state you would want to vote off to see what your political affiliation is because yeah. they can't legally ask you. That's what that question was. <laughs> yep. So Leo feels a great deal of resentment toward Delilah when she returns home. Is this anger and resentment justified? I think so. I mean, yeah. like he's a kid, he's had a really hard life and emotions are complicated. Like, but the thing is he wasn't just angry and resentful. He was angry and resentful. And then he learned and grew from it. And that's why it was okay. If he would have just been like that the whole time, I would have been like, fuck this kid. Yeah. That's exactly what I think too. Yeah. How, how do, do you, you feel about Josh as a husband and father? Did you ever consider him to be a suspect? 
which characters did you consider to be suspects? Everyone was a suspect from day fucking one, okay? Well, <laughs> the I way didn't the think... prologue was set up, I thought yeah. everybody was cheating. I didn't think Josh was a suspect, but I feel like as a husband and father, he was kind of absent. He really loved his job. Yes. I suspected him. When he got out of the car that one day and he had been searching for Delilah and Meredith by himself and he was all like rumpled and stuff, I was thinking about how in Where the Crawdads Sing, the main character was so fucking anxious during the court case because she was guilty. <laughs> so I definitely suspected him for a moment. I suspected okay. Kate for a moment, okay? I suspected everybody. I was like, why are we he hearing from Kate? She must be the killer. <laughs> See, the only people I considered was Cassandra and Mar Martha and Eddie. <laughs> oh, man. But also, I was definitely reading this with my lens from The Watcher on where everybody's the bad guy. <laughs> true, true. All right, question five. The suburban Chicago weather is as volatile as the story itself. How does the stormy spring weather add to the atmosphere of local woman missing? It puts you right into it. It makes it creepier. Yeah, like the story of the atmosphere is everything in this book. Like it makes it more suspenseful. Yeah. You already know I thought I was in the middle of the storm with them. Yes. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot, though. The way, like, she set the scene was so much different than the way, like, Delia Owens in Where the Crawdads Sing, like, set the scene. Because she would do, like, paragraphs and paragraphs of, like, details of the marsh. Mary will do, like, a sentence within a paragraph that's about a conversation and then another sentence a paragraph later and, like, sets the scene, like, very subtly. And it gets in your brain. I really like it. So six, uh, the novel discusses obstetristic violence and abuse. Did it surprise you to learn of the things Meredith has witnessed as a doula or to read about Shelby's experience giving birth? Yes, it did. Oh, man. It really did. I am actually convinced, and I was convinced before this book, that that's how childbirth is in America. I think you've heard me complain about how barbaric hospital yes. procedures are I wasn't shocked to hear that that's like that happened but it was shocking like you know what I'm saying like I wasn't surprised was, to hear it but yeah. it was shocking doctors being involved in childbirth is not a small part of the reason that I'm not having a baby yeah <laughs> but you Kayla you were pregnant while you were reading this yeah we didn't know that that was going to be part of this book when we read it. No. Oh, like when we picked it out. I feel like if we would have known that that was going to be part of this book, we would have probably read this at a different time. Yes. <laughs> my goodness. But yeah, and this definitely caused me to like look at stuff about midwives and doulas in a way that I never had before. Mm -hmm. Because while I don't trust doctors, I also never really consider doctor alternatives. In my mind, it's just like, you go to the doctor and deal with their shit or you just die. But there's, yeah. there's other alternatives. <laughs> Question seven is, keeping secrets from friends and loved ones is a recurring theme in this book. Have you discovered something surprising or even shocking about a friend or family member or neighbor that made you see them in a different light? And I wrote here, I don't think we should discuss this on the pod. <laughs> yeah, no, let's skip to number eight. <laughs> okay. This one wants us to discuss the choices that 
B and Meredith made in the car the night of the hit and run? Do you think B is a cold-blooded killer or a desperate woman with no other way out? And was Meredith as complicit as B? I think she was a desperate woman with no other way out. But then I think when she killed Meredith, she was a cold-blooded killer. For sure. The night, like in the heat of the moment, I agree with you. It was des definitely desperation. But as soon as she sat back down in that car with that plan in mind, she went from an accident to a psycho in my mind. Yep. Meredith was definitely not as complicit as B. I don't even feel like she was complicit. Like, I think that if she wasn't scared for her life, she would have told a million years before that. And that's exactly what I think, too. And then at the end of the novel, there are many victims, two women killed, a man sent wrongly to prison, a child kept in captivity, another being raised without her mother and father, and more. I mean, both kids were in captivity, but I get yeah. what you're saying. Who suffered the most throughout local woman missing and why? Carly, clearly. Like, she was not involved in any of this drama. She had the worst living conditions for the 11 years that the mystery went on hands down Carly yeah I could see that I think Leo because Leo I feel like he ended up life. becoming a child of his environment and I just feel like he was neglected when he should have been shown more love and you could tell <sighs> in his chapters how it affected him and that's gonna affect him for a really really long time yeah like him and Delilah probably both need fucking therapy Although, will J Josh do that because he really only wanted Delilah to go to therapy so he could find out what happened? I don't know. Maybe if Leo asks. Yeah. I hope things are better for him at school now that his sister's back, and I hope that the people in school are nice to her if she goes back. Like, I do, I, too. I can't help but wonder, like, what do you do with the child now that they're back and she's 17? Like, how do you help her get ready to be in the world? Yeah. The only thing That's is, is therapy. Yeah. But she's also going to need to go to school. Mm -hmm. but somehow somebody's going to have to educate her if she ever wants to, like, have a job or anything like that. Yeah. That's just such a long recovery process. But Delilah and Carly both have to deal with that. Yeah, that's true. That was a really good book, and I'm definitely going to be reading a lot more from her. Hopefully, I will be reading a lot more from her. I kind of want to check out, um, I think it was like The Other Woman or something. Oh, the yeah. The Misses. In the back of this book? Yeah. Did you read the little excerpt yes. she put in here? The Other Misses? Yes. I didn't, but does it sound good already just from one chapter that she included? It does, yeah. I'm going book shopping tonight. Well, there you go. So I'll have to look for her. There you go. But our next book is going to be Lisa Jewell, The Family Upstairs. I have to assume that everybody is reading this book right now because I couldn't find it in person anywhere. I checked Barnes and Noble and two targets and um, had to order it. Oh, wow. So that makes me feel like, and there were other Lisa Jewell books in both places that I checked, just not this one. I kept seeing then she was gone everywhere. So that's... I do have that one too. Yeah. If this one's good, that's probably going to be the next one I get because I love the cover. Yeah. So let me read you the synopsis. Soon after her birthday, Libby Jones returns home from work to find the letter she has been waiting for for 25 years. She rips it open with one driving thought. I'm finally going to know who I am. 
She learns not only the identity of her birth parents, but also that she is the sole inheritor of their abandoned mansion on the banks of the tomes. Everything in Libby's life is about to change. But what she can't possibly know is that the others have been waiting for this day as well. And she is on a collision course to meet them. Freaky. Terrifying. Who are the others? Okay, I'm immediately thinking about Lost with the other people. Did you watch Lost? Yes, yeah. Do you remember the freaky guy, Ethan, who, like, infiltrated their camp? Yes. Ugh. When I hear the others, I immediately think of that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Well, how far do you want to read in this first go? You tell me. Maybe we should do, like, 125 pages? That works. Okay, so we'll read the first 24 chapters. Sweet. And I'll talk to you in two weeks. Mm -hmm.